turn with me in your Bibles to, to Titus chapter 1 and hold with another hand 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be in two places this morning. <clears throat> and as you turn there, eh, let me just apologize for myself right at the beginning. Uh, whatever cold that is going around, it seems to have arrived to me and I'm feeling rather subdued this morning. So please feel, feel free to tell me after the service that I was boring. I understand why it is, uh, <clears throat> if I was uh, hard to follow. You also will notice that there is, a, there is the outline for you in the bulletin uh, and that should be able to help us to try and follow because we're not in one specific text. Uh, if you are a visitor with us this morning, uh, we have been studying what the pastoral office is in the church. Uh, last week we saw <clears throat> the, the place of the pastoral office in the church, um, why it was given, uh, what, what is its purpose in the life of the church. We saw that last week. And this morning we want to consider the qualifications of the New Testament elder. We want to see what qualifies a person to become a pastor, to become an elder in the church. How can they be qualified to do so and um, we, to try and figure out who are the people that can be that in our midst. <clears throat> and so for you children, with, uh, with uh, things that are printed for you, that's the word for this morning. The word for this morning is qualification. Qualification. Now, before we start in our text, let me ask you a question. Uh, why do people mistrust pastors? Why is there a, a, a lingering uh, mistrust of pastors? Um, last week we discussed the part that, part that pastors have a place in the, pla in the plan that God has that they oversee the church and care for the souls of God's people. But what leads to people mistrusting that plan? What leads to people looking to some, somewhere else for that leadership that the Lord has, given, has placed on the pastors? I imagine you could say a number of different things, societal-wise um, and different cultures, etc. But this morning I want to argue that among many factors that people mistrust pastors is because people have had experiences where pastors have not met the qualifications that God has set out. Where pastors are not acting in line or pastors themselves actually don't meet the qualification entirely um, that God has let out for the character and the ability of pastors. And God does not just say pastors must exist. He says what they must be like so that people can trust them in that particular office. And when we come to a discussion on the character of an elder, uh, there is really only one place for us to look and that is the Apostle Paul's letters, epistles to Timothy and Titus. These letters called the pastoral letters are letters that Paul sent to his sons in the faith, Titus and Timothy, to whom he had passed the, the proverbial baton of ministry to and had given them specific tasks in the areas that they were in. Both of these men, up among the many things that he had given them to do in the areas that they, were, that they were in, they were to oversee the appointment of elders specifically. Particularly in, for Titus, he was left in Crete, in Crete to ensure that the, the church of God is functioning well and a part of that is to appoint elders. Let me read for you now from Titus chapter 1 verses 5 to 9 and then right after I'll, I'll read from 1 Timothy verses three, chapter 3 verses 1 to 7. <clears throat> This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach, 
He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Come with me now to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires, desires uh, the office of, a, of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This is God's word. As we can see, these two lists, if you just have them between your hands, you'll see that these two lists are largely identical. Individually, they are not exhaustive, meaning that not each of these ones have everything. Um, since in some places, he's, since in the one list, he says something he doesn't say in the other one. But together, as a whole, they give us a clear picture of what the man must be if he is to be an elder. So I'm going to treat them this morning um, as a whole un as a unit rather than going through each one of these. I want to take you through this whole, the, the, the unit of putting together of what does an elder look like. And I want to show you what they teach us as a unit and point to us a few important points regarding the, the life of this particular man. Now here's the thing that we have to begin with. I say man because that is the primary assumption in both of these texts. I don't know if you noticed that. This is a husband of but, of but one wife. He must do this. He is to do that. He is to run his household in a man. It's, it's all written in to, with a male pronoun. It's to a he. It's a man. In each section, the overseer elders assume to be a man. This is of, this, Paul assumes this because he's already taught that women cannot exercise this, the authority over men in the church in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. So turn there for a moment to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Before he gives the qualifications of an elder in chapter 3 of what kind of man can be an elder, he has already said that a woman can't be an elder. And notice here that he uses extremely strong language. He says that he, Paul, being a, the official mouthpiece of Jesus Christ in the church, he does not permit, does not allow a woman to teach with authority. And it's not just a, a Paul issue. You might be sitting there thinking it's just a, a Paul issue. Paul has issues with women. But rather he tells you there it's a creation issue. Adam was formed first and then Eve. And also it's not just something that only was done by Paul or enforced by Paul. It is something that was enforced and understood and normal throughout the churches of the saints. 
You don't have to come there, but maybe you might want to. Come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 32 and see this for yourself in God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 32. Uh, in the middle of verse, sorry, verse 33. He says this, uh, by, by the end of verse 33, he says, As in all the churches of the saints, as in all, this is the established known practice in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. What is he talking about here? What is Paul dealing with here when he says this is a practice that is done throughout the churches of the saints? This is what he is saying. He's saying that when discussing doctrinal matters, discussing the leadership of the church, women are to keep silent. So he, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he's just in the middle of a section where there had been one or two or three prophets speaking, delivering a word from the Lord. And then the prophets sit down, and then those who are down sit and discuss the doctrinal matters, the weighty doctrinal matter, to test if what the prophets have said is actually coming from God, is actually true, is, is actually truth. And in that context, he says, women are to keep silent. They are not to speak. It is shameful for them to speak in that situation. And you might wonder why. Why would Paul even use such language as this? Well, here it is. Like Paul has said in 1 Timothy 2, Adam was created first. Say, he says, Adam was created first, not Eve. Order matters. Because Adam was created first, it means that he is the one who has been designated by God as leader. This we will see in the home, and if we see it in the home, then it makes sense that we see it as well in the church. It is the man who has been designed by God as the leader, and in the church, the men are to be leaders as well. Now, hold on. If you're here, and this is perhaps new to you, you might be thinking, this sounds extremely archaic, right? Extremely oppressive, backwards kind of thinking. We, you know, we've had the 1960s. Okay, we're, we're past some of this thinking. But hold on. If you're thinking this is, this is oppressive, let me ask you this. Judge between these two people. Who is the more oppressive one? The one who convinces you that a, a woman can be a teacher in the church or the one who recognizes God's design and says that in accordance with God's design, a woman cannot be a teacher in the church. Who's the one who's actually oppressive? Is it oppressive to say to a BMW driver, hey man, I know your car is fast and all that, but I'm pretty sure the BMW company did not design this to be driven in a river. No, 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 but my car can drive. It, look, can you hear the revving? Can you hear the revving? It can go into this river. I can go through this river. No, but it, it can drive. It's really wonderful, but it was not designed to be driven in a river. Who's the one who's oppressive? The one who recognizes design as coming from the maker and creator or the one who says, let's adopt new ideas and see if a car can drive in the river. You be the judge. And I'll tell you now that God's word is clear on this issue um, and it, it must be something that we need to change our minds on, to, to refresh our minds. God has designed this in this way. Why? Ask him. Okay, go, go take it up with him. But he's the one who has designed leadership to be given to men. Um, and we, we, must, we must be Christians who are willing to, to, to subjugate our wills to the revealed will of God in his word. Well, let's, let's move on. That's the primary, that's a, an assumption that's in these, both of these lists here, that it is a man. But the, the, other, the other preliminary thing that we need to talk about here is, the, is the, the one who aspires. You see in 1 Timothy 3. Come back to 1 Timothy 3 and let's look at verse 1. <clears throat> he says, 
Whoever aspires to the office of overseer desires a noble task. I want you to note something, that Paul here does not give tacit approval to the aspiration itself, but he says the task is desirable. Did you notice this? The one who aspires to the office of overseer desires a good thing. So the office of overseer is a good thing, and the task of the overseer, that's a good thing. But the desire itself does not mean that it cannot be questioned. The desire must be interrogated. Okay? The desire, just because you desire to be in the office of overseer, does not necessarily mean that you can go ahead, have at it. It must be interrogated. Certain things must be, must be in place. The, and how the desire is interrogated is by the following list of qualifications that must be objectively assessed by the elders and the church. In other words, while many people will desire the office, it will only equal that they can get into the office if they meet the other things in here as well. If a man desires, aspires to the office of an elder while he is known to be greedy for money, he cannot be an elder. If a man aspires to the office of elder but he has a deplorable sexual ethic, he cannot be an elder. If a man desires and aspires to the office, the task of teaching and preaching, but does not desire the study of teaching and preaching, he cannot be an elder. See this. Um, and this is an important lesson in general for all of us. See, in a world of self-actualization, we need to understand that our desires must be interrogated. Okay? Just because you want something does not mean that immediately you will get it. Just because you want something does not mean that you should pursue it. Your, your desire, there could, be, there could be a world, a massive gap between what I want and what I should have. We need to be a people who are mature enough to know that just because I feel like this, just because I have a strong desire for this thing does not mean that God would have me have this thing at this moment. Are you with me? You need to we need to check ourselves, in gen just in life in general. Um, uh, people who cannot control themselves and get whatever they want whenever they want it. Those people become the Amnons of the world. Do you remember Amnon? Remember the, the horrific, horrible story of Amnon? saw a woman he liked, he desired, that woman is his sister, but he wanted her so bad that he, would, he stopped at nothing and he ended up raping her. And then as soon as he raped her, he got rid of her. Go out, get out of my house, I'm done with you. See, that, those are the kinds of people that are built when we just, I want this, let me have it. I want this, let me have it. I want, what, do I, what do I feel like this morning? Let me get that. See, maturity requires a, okay, this is how I'm feeling. These are the things that I'm, perhaps I'm a, I would like to have this, but perhaps in the plan of God, this is not what I should have at this particular moment. Are you with me? However, all of that said, regarding that desire, all of that said, the desire is a necessary indication that the man is in fact called by God to this office. Okay, it is a necessary indication. If a man desires the work and he meets all the qualifications, then it is a good indication that he has been called and set aside by God to participate in this work. We saw even last week a little bit when we looked at Peter, Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, where Peter says, the elders must shepherd the flock, must oversee the flock willingly. Willingly, they must do, it must be something that it is coming from within. It's a willing desire to do so. So the willing desire, the desire, the wanting to do the work is a good thing and that must be cherished and nurtured in the church. But I want to also clarify, he says here, he, desire, he desires a noble task. We need to be very clear what the task is. The task is not just preaching but it is also study. 
H.P. Charles Jr. said this, a desire to preach without an equal desire to study is really a desire to perform. It's really just a desire to stand in front of people and say fun stuff. We need to know that it's not just the, the task that a man could be aspiring to is not just preaching, but it's the study that goes beneath the preaching, that, 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 that stands the preaching in good foundation. The task is not just talking, it's also listening. Yeah? The Lord Jesus, the chief shepherd, asked questions with the people that he was leading and, 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 and teaching and, and with, working with. He asked questions to show and expose where they're at. He didn't just talk to them all the time, he also listened to them. Paul the Apostle responded to letters from the churches, understanding where the churches are at and applying the Word of God to the specific situations that they had. It is not just a ministry of talking, it's also a ministry of listening and properly understanding where people are at. The task is not just commanding, but it is primarily shepherding. Okay? It's not, it is not a desire to be a big shot at the top of an organization. To be a top of, an, of all the organizational things that are happening here at church, but rather it is for the care of souls to look at to look after God's people. And one one way you know that a man has forgotten this particular aspect is this: when he treats the church staff as if they don't have everlasting souls. When he treats the people who serve in the church as if they're not people, sheep, that he's supposed to be caring for. When he treats them exclusively as employees, as people who are just supposed to do whatever he tells them to at the time that he tells them to do, get things going, let's, let's keep, keep things moving, make sure that everything is in the right place. That's when we have forgotten this. It's not just, it's not just the leading, the commanding, it's also shepherding, caring for God's people because primarily that is what the job is. It is to care for, where, for, the, for the sheep that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I say all of this because we need to be very clear what the task is that is to be desired. If a man desires not the full thing, he needs to be told. What you're desiring is just a part of it. Or what you're desiring it is perhaps the glamorization of it. You're not actually desiring what is truthfully the, the task itself. With all of that said, all those preliminary notes said, now let's first get into these qualifications. And when we read these qualifications in both of these texts, <clears throat> we will see two categories, character and ability. Character and ability. Observe first that the defining character qualification for the overseer is that he is to be above reproach. He says in verse, in, uh, in verse uh, 2 here, he says, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach. In, verse, in uh, Titus, he says it in verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. That is the defining character qualification for a man who is to be an elder. All of the following qualifications, all of the other qualifications here, apart from the ability to teach, all of them are an explanation of this main broad requirement. Meaning that all the other qualifications come down from this. It's a, it's a fleshing out of what above reproach looks like. And the idea in the phrase above reproach is this. That there is no area of censurable deficiency in either this man's life or his work ethic. In other words, there is no area of deficiency, of glaring deficiency in this man's life, in him, when we observe him and how he, do how he does things, and also in how he works, in his work ethic. Um, and if I, if I were to try and illustrate this, to try and get you to see the forest for the trees, I'll illustrate it using 1 John. So in 1 John chapter 1, 
John says this, that if we say that we, 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 we have fellowship with God, but we walk in darkness, we lie and the truth is not in us. You know that verse? First John, if we say that I fellowship with God, I have, I have categorically, if you ask me, I'll say I am a Christian, I walk with God, but yet I walk in darkness at the same time, John says there's no question, no discussion about it, you are lying, there's no truth in you. You don't, you're, not actually, you're not actually walking with God. So in other words, this is what it means. It says, you can't say that you're a Christian while you're living a life of sin and celebrating sin. You can't, if someone says that they are a Christian and they rob cash and transit trucks for a day job, that's their job, they rob cash and transit trucks. We can't say that that person's a Christian, right? We would be right to ask questions of that person, wouldn't we? If someone says, I'm a Christian, but yes, on Friday I've got this, this truck in Pretoria, I know uh, what's this company, it's moving, I know their route from Pretoria to, to Hamansgral, so I'm going to catch them there, but uh, I'll see you at church on Sunday. <laughs> you and I would be right to ask questions. If someone says they are a Christian, but they participate in gay pride marches, you and I would be right to ask questions. You with me? If someone says that they are a Christian and they are living with a sexual partner they are not married to, you and I would be right to ask questions. Are you seeing this? See, this text is not saying that we are to be perfect. Just because you lied, just because you fell in a sin or you made a mistake, no, it's not asking for perfection, but there are categoric things in your life that if they are in place, we are, we are right to question if God is in your life at all. If your categoric day job is thieving, we have a right to ask, you probably don't have God. You don't, probably don't have fellowship with the living God. You see, this is, it, it's in the same, it's the same way to be a Christian minister. We must not expect perfection from him, but from him, when we look at him, we must see a life that we can mimic. We must see a life that is above question. There aren't questionable things. Not to say that he's not going to fall and he's not going to even, you know, he's not going to someday be impatient or, 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 or do something sinful. It's not to say that. But in general, this is what it means. Is that when we look at him, can we mimic his life? Is his life at a point, is he a, a kind of life where we can say, here is a man who is following the Lord and in general, all aspects of his life are ordered by the word of God. And so just by, by beginning there, we can see that if that is what he is, somebody that we are supposed to be mimicking, like Paul says, follow me as I follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that it means that we ourselves sitting in the pews or in the chairs, we ourselves sitting here must be attempting to be this way. Are you with me? If you're a woman, there are two, you should only fail at two qualifications to be a pastor. Only two. One, you're a woman, so you can't be an elder. Two, the ability to teach. Not everybody can have the ability to teach, at least to teach the church. If you're a man, you should only, if you can't be, if you, if you can't be an elder, let it be because of just one qualification, and that is you can't teach. You can't say, what I'm saying, this, I'm, saying I'm trying to say this in reverse. We should all be aiming to look like this. Are you with me? And then we just we we will just not qualify to be elders just because of some technical things here. Perhaps I just I maybe you don't have a desire for it. Okay, fine. You don't have a desire for it, or you don't have the the the. There's, it's no sin to not have a public gift of teaching in the church. That's that's fine. But let do not be disqualified. Do not let your life. You do not let yourself be disqualified from being considered to be an elder in the church because you, can't, you are not managing your home properly, because you are a drunkard, because you have a horrible sexual ethic. 
You see, even you ladies, you know, we spoke last year about the, the, those ladies in 1 Timothy chapter from verse, I think verse uh, uh, 11 that we saw uh, last year, when we saw the, the, the women who are trusted in the church with certain tasks, we saw that, I think it was verse, uh, excuse me here, it was uh, verse 11, uh, 1 Timothy 3 verse 11, the women that, 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 that are trusted in the church. Do not be disqualified from that because your character is not up to par. Do not be disqualified from being trustworthy in the church, from having other people look up to you in the church because you are satisfied with having a violent spirit. You're satisfied with being a quarrelsome person. You know how, how hard it is to say, you know, you know this guy, you know, if, if he just did not want to fight with people all the time, he would make a good elder. <laughs> this, is, this is what it is. The idea here is that he is, he is above reproach. No one can come and bring an accusation that will stick. And in general, his, his is a life that we would want to mimic. I've tried to categorize all these from both of these t passages, Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3 into about five categories. These categories might fail, so forgive me, but I'm just gonna try, I've just tried to group them into five categories. First, we can categorize it this way. Number one, he is a husband of one wife, meaning he is a man who has an exemplary sexual ethic. He has an exemplary sexual ethic. This is a man of self-control when it comes to sexual relations. He is a man, primarily, if he has a wife, he is faithful to his wife. He is a one-woman man. This is not a troublemaker who is going to go around devouring the women in the church. This is not a man who is weak when it comes to this particular issue. He understands what God's word says about sexuality and he treats and conducts his own life in the, in the way that God says. This is a man that we can trust with, with, with a wife. You know, this is not a man that we can say, just, just, just maybe just, just wait a second before you get married. Let's fix these things. This is rather a man that we can trust. This is a man who has shown himself in his single days, he has shown himself to be singularly focused on purity because that's what he is called to sexually at that particular point in time. So this is a call for all of us, really, to aspire to be that way, to not be a people who are loose, licentious, people who are exactly like the world when it comes to thinking about sex. Exactly like the world. It's just a, 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 a momentary transaction. I can watch it on the screen. I can, I can enjoy, you know, I can just listen to, to descriptions of it on music. There's nothing holy about the act of sex. It's just something that is, we're animals, aren't we? See. We must all aspire to be people who think in the right way when it comes to sex. And that, is, and that is this, that God has set that aside in a particular place for one natural man and one natural woman to be done specifically in a God-glorifying way in that covenant, undergirded and supported by that covenant. And anything else that even touches sexuality that is outside of that is sin. And God's people are to run away from it. I remember one time I was speaking um, to someone about uh, uh, there was I think there was something on on a, on a show, and I was speaking. I was saying, "Well, that's not that that." that and I said, that, 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 "That's not wholesome." I mean, these people are these people are kissing, and it's gonna. That's not hopeful. That's not wholesome. We shouldn't watch it as Christians. And the person looked at me and he said, and she said, honestly. Like with a straight face, she looked at me and she said, but they're married in the movie. <laughs> they're married in the movie, so it's fine. No. What? What? So we can sit here and watch pornography as long as they, they say they're married in the movie. See, we, we need to mature past that. We need to mature past that kind of childish thinking. 
Okay, we, 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 we are, we, God has, has made us sexual beings and the sexuality that God has created for us is, is to be dealt with in a particular situation. It is not to be the filth that the world makes it out to be. He is an, he, here, it says here in, in First Timothy, in chapter 3, verse 2, he is to be the husband of one wife and he says exactly the same thing in chapter, in chapter 1, verse 6 of Titus, he is to be the husband of one wife. This means that this is a man who is committed and this is a man that can be trusted with even just the understanding of how one is to conduct themselves sexually. Second, here's the second one. Second category is, uh, it is he is to be a person of exemplary self-management. A person of exemplary self-management. Look there uh, to some of these in 1 Timothy 3. It says, sober-minded, self-controlled. Jump to verse 3. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. See, this person is not just blowing off. When it comes to his passions... This person has a clear head. So this person can think clearly and this person can, ma can manage himself and manage his emotions. Unlike the, the person in Proverbs, we're told there is a fool who gives full vent to his spirit. Just says whatever he's feeling whenever he's feeling it. Just says whatever he wants to say however he wants to say it. All the time. This is the kind of person he is. When he, when he enters in the, in the back door of the church there, we're like, okay, okay, let's keep everything fine because we know he's going to blow off. He's going to blow up. He's not going to be happy. When, when, this, when this aunt comes in there at the back, okay, she's here now. Let's all be in our best behavior because she cannot tolerate. She just she tells us what she's thinking. At the moment, she thinks it. See, this is a person who doesn't know. This is, not, this is a person who doesn't manage themselves. Doesn't think through things properly. He's not sober-minded in that sense. Sober-minded means just clear-headed, clear thinking, properly understanding things and, and not being foggy, not being dissipated by either alcohol or uh, too much dopamine in your brain, doing something too much. Like, uh, perhaps this is not a gambler. This is not somebody who just gambles and gambles and even gambles their house away. Uh, we were at, uh, I took, uh, took uh, Hotso out for, for dinner on Friday and we uh, went to Monte Casino and, uh, and he had never understood the concept of a casino. So I was trying to explain to Hotso what a casino is and what they do and all of this. And he was just like, what? And I was saying, no, sometimes, you know, you know they'll even go all in with their cars and their houses. And Hotso just looked at me like, what, what are you, how, why does this place even exist? Saying, well, that's what it is, it's dissipation. People just, dis we, we can just gamble and gamble things and do things that make no sense because our minds, we're not clear-headed thinking. When you're sitting down, you're thinking, why did you do that? Can't give you an answer. See, we need to be, uh, an elder must be someone who is sober-minded, self-controlled, not quick-tempered, disciplined. Um, I must say that I'm on this next one, this one here, not quarrelsome. I, I think we have done, I think elders, even in our circles, I feel like we've done a great disservice in being example, examples to the, to the flock with regards to this one. Not quarrelsome. It appears to me that quarrelsomeness has now become a virtue in, in Christian circles. Quarrelsomeness, arguing about everything, just being cantankerous, just always having something to argue about, tweeting about it, and then, and then, and then subtweeting, and then just all this stuff. It, it appears to me that quarrelsomeness, we were no longer thinking about what this means. Quarrelsomeness means you're, you're not this disagreeable person, always wanting a fight, trigger happy chappy. Just wanting to, to always put people down. Oh, yeah! Let me get on top of you. You're saying this, that's wrong, that's not right. Let me just jump on you. No, we, we don't want that. Huh? Who of you here 
feel like you were well served by parents who were always just jumping on you, shutting you down. Parents who were always just jumping on you, just trying to get you to shut up. Whenever you'd say something, even as a child, and maybe it wasn't right, then they'd get on top of you, get it right. You weren't, you weren't well served, you're not going to want to speak anymore, aren't you? And there's even a phrase, you know, that people like to say, what you say, what you're saying doesn't make sense. You, 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 you're not sensible when the way that you're thinking, the way that you're speaking doesn't, you're just, you're just, you're just an idiot. I'm not even going to listen to you. This is, that's quarrelsomeness. It's not being gentle with people, thoughtful, interacting with people in a, in a clear-headed and calm way. The image that we're getting here from this person is that he is a calm person. He's collected, he, co he controls himself. So he's a, a man of exemplary self-management. Third, he has exemplary consideration for others. Exemplary for cons consideration for others. It says there that he is to be hospitable. Do you see that? He's to be hospitable. It also says that he is not arrogant. He's not an arrogant person. A hospitable person thinks about others. Thinks the word hospitality literally just means love of stranger. This is a person who thinks about others and cares for them. He is thoughtful that his resources are not just to be used for himself, for his own benefit, but also for the benefit of others. And so he's thoughtful in how he thinks about other people. He's also not arrogant. He treats himself among other people with humility. He conducts himself, rather, among others with humility. Not wanting to be the primary, not wanting to be above others, always trying to be the, the person that everybody's looking to, like the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not go around, does not go around shouting into the streets that he is this great person, but he's a humble person, a person who is very keen to think of others as better than himself. You see, an exemplary stature within the church community and the world. So we have an exemplary sexual ethic, an exemplary self-management, an exemplary consideration for others, and fourthly, an exemplary stature within the church community and the, the world in general. It says he must be upright, holy, respectable, and not a new believer. So that it says he must not be a, in verse, in verse 6 it says, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. He must not be a new Christian. You know, a new Christian is still learning, still trying to figure things out. They might be well gifted, but we can't say, hey, look at you, you're a new Christian. Now let's make you a pastor in a congregation. You still, you need to have a, a respectable stature within the church. You need to as it were, build that capital up of being respected and being known in the church. But also, not just in the church, but look at verse 7 of 1 Timothy 3. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This means that he must be well thought of by non-Christians. Think about this for a moment. Are the non-Christians in your life thinking of you as one who is a, a generally a good person? Now, understand what we're saying here. He must be well thought of by outsiders, meaning that when it comes to morality in general, outsiders around him know him to be a good guy in general. I'm not talking about people who are persecuting him or people like that, but in general, the, his colleagues know that if you give this job to this guy, he'll get it done. His colleagues know that he doesn't come up with 300 excuses for why this report has not been done for three months. His boss knows that this man can be trusted. In general, I'm talking all things being equal here. His neighbors trust him. Okay, his neighbors don't think that, you know, he's not the kind of guy who's going to say, I'm having an all-night prayer, and he blasts worship music at 12 a.m., 
loudly such that his neighbors are awake now and he's and he's praying and you know how they pray they pray like stomping the ground like this you know so he's praying loudly he's blasting worship music and his neighbors are trying to sleep no but I'm being spiritual no your neighbors have a legitimate complaint against you okay go to sleep or pray quietly understand our witness to the world matters. I know, again, dear Christians, I know we, 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 because we're always, we're always talking about the world and us, and that's true. There is, the world is separate from the church, and the world is using a lot of bad theology, 100%. But we need to realize that our witness to the church, mat, to the world, matters. Our witness to the world matters as Christians. We can't just say whatever we want to, to, to non-Christians and then come here and put on our Christianese. On Sunday, we can't act, however, with the people that we're always interacting with as we walk on the streets to work or as we, as we live our lives. The guy who pulls on our petrol, they, they know us to be demons, but at church we're all holy. Can't do it. We need to be godly people who, are, who in general are well thought of by outsiders. In general, there aren't people out there thinking that here is a guy who is a, quite a problem of a neighbor or a colleague or a person. Um, and finally, he's to have an exemplary relationship with money. An exemplary relationship with money. He's not greedy, not a lover of money, and he is hospitable. Okay, he's not a lover of money. Lover of money is very clear in the scriptures. And love of money is one of the, the, uh, the, the, I think, part of the three main challenges for pastors in history. I think it's, they call it pennies, uh, petticoats, and pride. The three Ps. The three horrific Ps. If a pastor can have a management and a well, a properly thinking about pennies, not having a, 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 a love relationship with money. Loving money such that he's, you know, the accounts are going in here and using the church card like this. Um, if, he's a, if he's a person who is not corrupt in his dealings for money. Uh, I'll tell you this now. If, if, if there is someone who can argue this way, you know, I, I needed a job. I was about to get this job. I needed a job. But I didn't have my, li my Code 14 license for this job. So what I did was I just went and paid for the Code 14 license. I just went and bribed for the Code 14 license so I can get a job, so I can feed my family. You see, feeding my family is good. I just needed to bribe and grease some hands to get the Code 14 so that I can get the job. That right there has been greedy for money. That right there is someone who is willing to do anything so that they can get money. That is someone that you, church, should not trust with the church coffers. Um, so uh, he must have an exemplary relationship with money. He must keep money at arm's length in terms of its love. He loves people. He needs to see money for what it is. Money is a tool to bless people. Money is a means to an end, not an end in itself. Possessions are a means to an end. They are not an end themselves. Without all that, all of that said, I do want to say this to us this morning, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. He is the one who meets all of these qualifications, plus more. And so as we pursue to add more elders, we need to remember that we're not trying to, we're trying to have somebody who's going to be a representative of the Lord Jesus in front of us. We're not going to get the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Are you with me? The Lord Jesus Christ is perfection. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is without fail. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who will never disappoint us. Our elders will disappoint us. Throughout history, elders have disappointed. Even at Bible class this morning, Pastor Michael was telling us about just good, good men doing wonderful things, but they had some failings. They called themselves bishops above other churches. There were already, there were weaknesses there. So pastors are going to, they're going to mess things up. They're going to fail us. 
But we must know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that we, we go to. And if we as a church hold the standard to the right place, the standard must be this. It must not be less than this, but it not, must not be more than this either. Don't in your mind disqualify an elder candidate here at church because he once made a mistake and came to you and asked for forgiveness. Okay, he made the mistake and he asked for forgiveness. Okay, we're not, we're, we're not trying to set up a standard of sinless perfection here. We're not saved by pastors, we're saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the perfect one. You, our hope is entirely on him. We need to keep the standard where it should be. No more and no less. And some have really made horrific things with these standards. They've made standards that are unattainable, made this seem like it's something nobody can attain to. And others have made it so weak that anybody can be this, even while they are clear, glaring errors and issues in their lives that they need to correct. And as God's people, we need to be biblical. Stay where the Bible says. The second thing that I want us to talk about real quick now is we've done the character. That's the character of the pastor. Now let's come to the ability. There are two foundational skill sets that the overseer must have. The first one is that he must be able to teach. 1 Timothy 3 verse 2. He must be able to teach. He says it like that in 1 Timothy 2. He says in Titus 1, he says, verse 9, Titus chapter 1 verse 9 says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. He must be able to teach. That's the first uh, foundational skill set. The second one is that he must have a proven demonstration to manage. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4, you see, he said, this is what, this is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? First, let us discuss the, the ability to teach. How are we to know that someone has an ability to teach? At least the ability to teach that Paul is talking about here. See, all Christians teach to some degree. How can a church determine if a man has the ability to teach and to manage that is sufficient for God's church? Let's talk about this for a moment regarding teaching. In the New Testament church, God gives spiritual gifts to all members of the church. This he says in Romans uh, chapter 12. In the use of these gifts, Paul instructs the Corinthians that these gifts are for the building up of the body. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And this can be stated in the negative. It is not a true use of the gift if by its use the church is not gift built up. Consequently, we know that a gift exists and is used accordingly if when it is used in the church, the people are built up. Okay? Work with me for a moment. Just work with me. Paul states a similar principle uh, here regarding a, the man's management of his household. He must already be a capable manager of his home because that proves that he has the skills necessary to care for the church. One cannot be expected to be a good leader of God's church if he is a bad leader of his own household. In the same way, if no one is built up when a man attempts to teach God's word, then that is an indication that he does not have the ability to teach. Work with me. The ability to teach under question here is given by the Holy Spirit. Okay? And it goes hand in hand with a firm conviction regarding sound doctrine. A gift of teaching is either there or non-existent. Okay, it's either the Holy Spirit gave you the gift of teaching or he didn't. It can be nurtured and improved over time, but because it is the gift of the Spirit, it cannot be contrived out of thin air. Consequently, having a penchant for public speaking 
or having an ability to teach in a secular sphere like you're a teacher at school or a lecturer or having an extrovert personality must never be confused with the spiritual ability to teach God's word. Are you seeing the difference? Some people are, ex are just generally, they just love talking and they can talk. If, you, if there's just a, a, an awkward silence, they'll fill it with words. <laughs> Does not mean that they have the ability to teach. Some people are lecturers and teachers in secular spheres. Does not mean that they have the Holy Spirit given ability to teach. How do we know that you have the Holy Spirit given ability to teach? Whenever you stand in front of us and teach, we are helped. Whenever you open your mouth to explain God's word, in us as God's people, we find benefit from that. We, we, we come out thinking about the, the content and, and the Holy Spirit uses that to convict us and we think about Christ and how all of these things, we're not coming out leaving and saying, uh, what did you say again? What was the first point? There was a sub point. And then we're busy thinking about you now. Okay, we're now busy thinking about you, Ish, you're not really a... Okay, let me just encourage you. Brother, thank you for the message. We're just trying to encourage you now because we're busy thinking about you. We're not thinking about the content. We're not thinking about Christ and what you said. It hasn't come and landed on us because the Spirit has not given you the ability to teach. Okay? This is, this is, this is, this is a, a, an important thing. So this is what it means for us as a church. This must be, of course it can grow, okay? It can grow, it, can, it must be nurtured, but it must be, it must be tested and exercised among God's people, and God's people then are to give feedback as to whether they are helped and built up by the candidate in question. For this reason, it is necessary to offer men of character and desire opportunities to teach the congregation so that the congregation can assess their abilities. Now, dear Christians, I want to say this to you. This is just some implications for you. Be very careful of the feedback that you give. Okay, church? Be careful of the feedback that you give. If you keep giving positive feedback to a man who actually does not benefit you, and you had no idea what he's talking about, do not be surprised when the elders put him in front of you and say he's to be your elder. Because you have kept saying, I'm helped, I benefit. Whenever you speak, it's wonderful. And the man himself keeps thinking, wow, I have the gift. <laughs> so now everybody thinks it's all going well, but you are just trying to be a Christian. You're trying to be kind to him, and so you're, you're encouraging him. Don't encourage him with lies. Okay? Okay, the elders of this church are committed to ensuring that the men we bring before you to be your elders are men that we have every confidence that you will readily receive as elders. Okay? So Tyrell used to say it this way. Tyrell said, I don't get why guys propose to women that they're not sure if they're going to say yes to. Why would you go to the whole thing of proposing to a woman and you don't know if she's going to say yes? I mean, that's a nice Hollywood trope, but why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. Because you should already have walked the road, you should be committed, you should be on the same wavelength with this person, such that the, the proposal day is just a formality. In the same way, we as, we as elders of the church, we, we, as we give men more opportunity, especially with the evening service coming back, and we're giving more men opportunity to teach, if you keep saying you're helped and you're benefited, then... <laughs> then don't be surprised. Now, thank, now, Lord willing, we will be protected from that because Michael and I should be able to also pick up and say this person doesn't or does not. But we as a church, we need to speak up. We, it is, it is, we are the ones who need to be expressing whether or not we are benefiting from this gift as well. Also, in all of that, I want to also say this. We must be wise to distinguish between a lack of gifting and nervousness. Okay? We have to be wise there. Sometimes somebody's just somebody. Sometimes somebody is just nervous. Doesn't mean that they're necessarily not gifted. We should maybe give them another opportunity, etc. Um, regarding his teaching, Paul gives the overseer two responsibilities when he says to, to 
to Timothy, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Um, he is to practice these things, immerse themselves in them, and he is to go forward here. Now, I want to get a bit technical here, um, just to distinguish these things. The only specific spiritual gift that Paul has in view is the gift of teaching. But in speaking of his management of his home, I argue that it is part of his moral upstanding rather than a specific spiritual gift. In other words, all men who are husbands and have children must manage their children and keep their children submissive. That is a must for all men. While all men are expected also to teach their families that does not necessarily translate to them having the spiritual gifting to teach the church. Are you seeing this? In other words, deficiency in ability to teach the church does not equate to deficiency in ability to teach at home. However, deficiency in management of children at home will translate into a, 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 a deficiency in management of the church. And it is not a matter of a spiritual gift, but it is a matter of taking responsibility. So a, a father can't say, oh, my child is causing problems and is, is, is unruly because I don't have the spiritual gift of fathering. I don't have the spiritual gift of management. I need the administrative spiritual gift of the, the spiritual gift of, of, of administration so I can administer at home and manage my home. No. Every man is expected to do it. But if a man so if a man does not do it at home, we already it's not just a failing in a gifting, it's a failing in his moral character. He is not applying himself to keeping his children submissive. A father, uh, a father cannot communicate at home to his wife and kids and then say, I'm just not gifted in that area and just sit home and watch TV. A father can't not discipline his children because it's just not his gift. A father can't exasperate his children by laying law upon law on them that he doesn't hold to himself and argue that he needs to go pray and ask for a heavenly gift. However, a father can struggle to properly understand sex certain sections of the Bible and even struggle explaining them to his family. That's understandable. That's, pre that's perfectly normal. That's why there's resources to help. Because not all of us are teachers spiritually in that way. We need to grow in certain, in certain situations. If a man's children are not submissive, um, he has he is disqualified himself. In Titus, this requirement is written this way. In verse 6, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Some take this to mean that his children must be Christians. It says they, they are believers. Therefore, a man is disqualified if his children are not saved. So that's what they say. They say, your children have to be Christians. And if your children are not saved, then it means that you, are not, you, you need to step down from being a pastor. And I believe that it's technically wrong for two reasons. One... Believers or faithful, as the word can also be translated as, is used of a number of people who believe but are not actually saved. Okay, the Lord Jesus used this in speaking about some of the soil in the parable of the soil. Second, he explains that what he means when he says these children are faithful, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Debauchery here, the Greek word asotia, refers to a life of dissipation, wastefulness, causing all kinds of problems in the community. In other words, your pastor is not qualified to be a pastor if his kids have pastor's kid syndrome. Do you know pastor's kid syndrome? We all know the pastors are like this, but their kids are like that. That's disqualifying. Their children must not be like that. They cannot be going around in being insubordinate and being all kinds of problematic to the church. And so we need to keep those things very clear that it does not necessarily mean that now that they are to be, uh, that, that, he is, that his children are to be saved. It just means 
that his children uh, are to listen to him. With all of this said, and let me just now bring, bring us to a close. With all of this said, uh, let me bring two final things uh, to your consideration. One, the Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect shepherd. He is the shepherd that we all aspire to be like. And so while, while we might be weak in some of these things, some of us as Christians, Paul tells Timothy this in 1 Timothy 4. You, Timothy, are to set a godly example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, and in purity. Meaning that he is to be a, an example of pursuing after these things. The goal is for all of us to pursue, to be like this, to have godly speech, to have strong faith, to love, and to be pure. And the second thing I want to leave you with is that unless a man or a woman is in the Lord Jesus Christ, they can never meet these qualifications. Unless you are in the Lord Jesus Christ and His blood has washed you clean, you can never be like this. You can try some aspects of this. You can really apply yourself in one or some of the other areas. But unless the Holy Spirit overpowers you and you come to Christ and your sins are forgiven, you can never be an exemplary person in the church of God. And so for that, let me encourage you, if you're not a Christian, to repent of your sins, to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will find that the Lord Jesus Christ has enough power to perfect you and mature you. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, we look to you as the chief shepherd of the church. We ask that you would mature us all in these ways. Help us to grow, to love one another in the manner that we should. Help us to be godly in every way. And all of us to set examples of purity and speech and love and faith. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand now and let's sing together a closing hymn.